The following program is sponsored by Dan Witham, LPL Financial. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. The opinions represented during this show may not necessarily represent those of KRMG or Cox Media Group. Your host is Dan Witham, a financial advisor with offices at 8516 East 101st Street, Suite C in Tulsa. His office phone number is 918-398-8387. Dan is a branch manager with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Now here's Money Talk on News 1023 and AM 740 KRMG. Good morning and welcome to Money Talk. My name is Skyler Cooper sitting in for Russell Mills this weekend here with Stan Witham and Steve Money as always. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, good sir. Good morning. How are we? Very good. Very good. Good to be here. Well, we, as we always like to do, Dan, we're going to give away a book this week, and all I have to do is call your office to get a copy. What book are we talking about? That's right. The book this week is called Sins of Our Fathers. It is by Gary Neese, who's a Tulsa police sergeant who passed away this past week, a friend of mine who's been on the show a couple times, as a matter of fact. Twice he's come on the show for me. And uh, this is the sequel to the first book that he had written called Cold Blue. And it's the second book in the series. It's about a rogue uh, TPD officer who basically goes on his own for justice, as a little vigilante justice, if you will. It's an excellent book, and I've read the book, as a matter of fact. And I'm giving away the book for a couple of reasons. One, because it's a good book. But two, because it will also help out Gary's family with part of the proceeds from the book going to to his family, which I think is definitely something that I want to do, help them out. So I'll give away free copies to anybody that calls my office at uh, 918-398-8387. That's 918-398-8387. It is the weekend, of course, that we'll get our voicemail. Just leave our, your name and address, please, when you get our voicemail. We'll send you a copy of the book by Gary Neese. It's called Sins of Our Fathers. And if you haven't read Cold Blue, I recommend that one too, Steve. I think you may have seen that one also. I did. It, yeah, you know, he was a great guest on the show. And, and yes. the thing I like about these books is they're based in Tulsa. Yes. Tulsa people, Tulsa places. And so it's kind of like... You know, still going to the movies where they film something here in Tulsa. You still, it's just kind of cool that they do it right here. And you, you see it and then you drive by and, hey, that was the place in the movie. Book's kind of the same thing. You're right. And, you know, it reminds me of a movie that I bought on Amazon and haven't watched it, The Outsiders. I still haven't that, watched that's that That's what movie. I was thinking oh, yeah. of, yeah. Yep. Yep. There's, uh, there's so much going on with that still. The guy who, uh, Danny Boy O'Connor, used to be a part of the group, um, House of Pain owns that house, and he's restoring it to look like the movie. So, oh man, it's cool. so cool how that works. Yeah. Wow. A lot of talent in that movie. I looked at the list of actors; I was impressed, and they were all very young and Just fairly kids. new actors back then. But yeah, yeah, they were all extreme. All went on to be stars, big stars, as a matter of fact. Anyhow, uh, Gary Neese uh, was a friend of mine, a sergeant with Tulsa Police, and he passed away this past week on Friday from brain cancer. And sadly, uh, this happened, of course. Gary was only 51 years old, which I hate to see stuff like that happen. I hate right. to see things like that happen. I have a brother who passed away from brain cancer. Uh, when he was six years old, so I'm very familiar with the subject, unfortunately. I hate to say it, but anyhow, so I encourage you to call for the book. We'll send you a free copy of the book, and it's called Sins of Our Fathers. If you want a copy, just give me a call at 918-398-8387. 918-398-8387 is the number to call for that uh, free book by Gary Neese, and we'll help out his family a little bit in the process, hopefully be able to do something good here for a change, for me at least. Anyhow. <laughs> you do a lot of good things. Yeah, I don't Come know on, about man. that. Steve, we're going to talk about later in the show about how investors are like dogs. Oh, man. Okay. How's and that sound? And it's not about personal relationships. It's has about nothing to investments. Do with, it has nothing to do with your Gotcha's. exes. All right. All right. I'm safe. <laughs> okay. I promise not to talk about your exes today. All right. Okay? We'll see if we can stick to that, if I can keep that promise. <laughs> okay. Steve, what do you think happens? What do you think mutual fund companies do 
with a poorly performing mutual fund. Just keep plugging along. They bury it deeper than a Hillary Clinton email. Oh, that's pretty deep there. Okay. Let's say you have Fund A or mutual fund company. doesn't matter who Vanguard. Let's just say Vanguard for the sake of argument. They have Fund A that makes 10% a year for five years. All right. Fund A goes up 10% every year for five years. I know this is just hypothetical, right? Because no, yeah. funds don't just go up the same amount every year. Okay. Fund B from Vanguard goes down 10% every year for five years. And you unfortunately own both of them. Well, but wait, somebody let's just might. say you might. Somebody might. You're right. Uh, and so what do they do with Fund B? They kill Fund B. They merge it into Fund A. They take all the assets from B and they put them into A. They send the shareholders a letter that says your fund no longer exists. You now own this fund, which they can do. And yeah. this is what they actually do. And you know what happens to the performance of Fund B, the performance record? You never know about it, probably. You're right. It goes away. It goes bye-bye. It's not even reported in the historical performance by the fund company. It's like a ServPro commercial, like it never even happened. Oh, basically. Man. <laughs> it's like it never existed. And that's the way they do it. And they're allowed to do this. It's just, I've never understood why they're allowed to do this from a regulatory standpoint, but they don't ever have to report Fund B again. So kind of like that old saying, you don't know what you don't right. know. And you don't know what their mistakes were, what the fund company's mistakes were, because all fund companies that I've ever seen have funds that are like that, that end up in the scrap heap, if you will. So when you combine those two funds, I would assume that it dilutes fund A that was doing okay, or does it? Well, no, because they, typically they'll change the assets of the fund when they move it over to fund A. They'll, they'll just okay. rearrange the assets so they match fund A's. It just depends, though. But the problem is uh, the shareholders in fund B didn't get the good performance. No, they didn't get very good performance. Yeah. But yet Vanguard or whoever can step out there and say, well, here's Fund A, here's this great fund. It's done 10% a year. Look at our average fund performance. And the average fund performance doesn't show their average fund performance because it doesn't include the Fund Bs of the world. So if Fund A was doing that 10% a year, they merge Fund B with it. Right. Does Fund A still show the 10%? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, oh, so yeah. it doesn't dilute its returns. Correct. It doesn't all affect right. its returns at all in the past. But if you owned... The fund B goes away. If you owned Fund B and did not own Fund A, you just did okay, though. Well, you lost 10% a, a year. <laughs> well, no, no, but going forward, you're now in a fund that... Uh, now you're in Fund A, yes. You're in a fund that, that hopefully will perform better. Are. So hopefully, yes. But how does that not dilute Fund A, though? What do you mean? I, well, I mean, you got a plus 10, then you merge a minus 10, isn't that kind of like zero? Because, no, the returns don't come with it. Uh, oh, okay. From okay, reporting, gotcha. does that make sense, what yes, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. From a reporting standpoint, the returns don't come with it. They go away. They're deleted. As if, like, you deleted them off your computer. They're gone gotcha. forever. All right. Okay? And uh, it's just, it's a bizarre phenomenon that the mutual fund industry is allowed to do, and they've always been allowed to do it. And there's nothing inappropriate about it. I'm not saying it is, but this that's what right. the rules say they're supposed to do. And so, but it, so when you look at a fund company that says, you know, we have all these five-star rated funds or whatever it might be, just remember... There's some that they're not telling you about. You don't they know. don't have to yeah. tell you about. And it, it could be a small number. It could be a huge number. You know, Fidelity, I don't know if you ever looked at Fidelity, but they have hundreds and hundreds of funds. They have so many different funds. It's amazing. They even have different fund families. Yeah. They have Fidelity <laughs> Advisors. They have Fidelity Select Funds. They have all kinds of different fund yeah. groups. They're different fund families. And they're an enormous company, but they literally have hundreds and hundreds of funds. I'm, not, I'm just picking on them as an example. So they could have who knows how many funds that have been killed off over the years. And you know. would never know. Right. And I don't even know. I can't and, even find and them. And can't go find out. Right. And, and I can't even find them myself because they no longer exist. They're no longer reported on any data by anybody, pretty much. It's, it's how it works. Well, that's kind of like trying to find out who owns the uh, Oklahoma Turnpike Authority bonds. <laughs> you can't find out. 
Well, you're right. That's that's that would be a little tricky because they're probably held in street name, which means they're held by the firm Merrill Lynch, whoever under Merrill Lynch's name, not by the individual owner's name, which you is how a lot of securities are held. Yes. And and just so little, for those of you that don't know, all that toll money you pay, none of it goes to the state of Oklahoma. Just so you'll know, it goes to the bondholders. It goes to the bondholders. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I can tell you that. Yeah. Who is not the state of Oklahoma, by the way? Correct. It's private individuals. Exactly. Yes, it is private individuals. OTA Oklahoma Turnpike Authority sells municipal bonds, which are also tax-free bonds, by the way, in the state of Oklahoma, federally and state tax-free. Yep. Yes. Wow. And they're very popular bonds, and people buy them like crazy. It'd be interesting to see how many ex-governors owned, own OTA bonds. I don't know. Quite I'll possible. bet you a bunch. It's quite possible that they do, but uh, OTA bonds are very popular because they're high credit quality, they pay regularly, and they have good yield, but they're also tax-free. Oklahoma does not have enough tax-free bonds. Oklahoma has a dearth of municipal bonds that are issued in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, Between GRDA and Oklahoma Turnpike Authority, those are the two most popular ones and the bigger issuers of them. But there's always people scrambling to buy municipal bonds in the state of Oklahoma, I can tell you, because there's never enough supply. You have more demand than you have supply, basically is what it is, what it comes down to. And you know how that works from Freakonomics. You know, you just think about that. So they're very popular and it drives the price up on them. And uh, they just, they tend to do very well. We got a little bit. You want to talk about football for a second? Well, with the Oklahoma Thunder football team played at home last night. We played uh, the Missouri Cyclones, uh, beat them 57 to nothing. And I hate to say this, but the truth of the matter is uh, the other team quit at the end of, uh, towards the end of the third quarter. They had t- taken a pounding that they had not anticipated. They'd been undefeated up to this time. Oh. They got very defeated last night. So bless their hearts. Hope nobody got hurt too badly because I know some of them did. <laughs> so uh, we'll be out of town next week. We'll be back home at East Central High School uh, uh, two weeks from last night. If you want some tickets, you can. Uh, the best way, honestly, is just to Facebook me, Steve Money, and uh, I'll get you some tickets for the game two weeks from last night. So from what I hear, it was like fight night last night, Skyler, at the, it, at the it, football it, game. It sounds like it got a little, uh, a little rough. It, yes. it, it, was, it was a challenge, I will say that. But So we're 2-1 and one right now, and uh, you know, still on the quest for the three-peat this year. National champions the last two years, trying to do it this year. Let's take our first break. And, and by the way, if you missed it at the very beginning of the show, you wanted a copy of this week's book. It is Sins of Our Fathers by... Gary Neese. It is actually the second book in his series. We gave away the last one, the first one last week. If you want a copy of that, just call Dan's office. It's 918-398-8387. Leave your name and your address. We'll get you a copy of that book. More Money Talk after the break. You're listening to News 1023 and AM 740 KRMG. Welcome back to Money Talk on News 1023 and AM 740 KRMG. Skyler Cooper sitting in for Russell Mills today, along with Dan Witham and Steve Money. And the book this week, if you'd like to uh, get a copy of this book, it's called Sins of Our Fathers by Gary Nace. A special book to you, Dan. That's right. Gary is a TPD officer, sergeant who passed away on Friday from brain cancer. And so I'm giving away copies of his book to try to help the family out as much as we can. You can get a free copy of it. Just give me a call at 918-398-8387, 918 918- 398-8387. Just leave us your name and your address when you get our voicemail, please, and we'll send you a copy of that book. It is an excellent book, and I highly recommend it, and I have read it myself. I've read both of his books myself, as a matter of fact, and uh, Gary was a good man, and he will be missed by many, I can tell you. Steve, you know I like Dennis Gartman. Right. I've talked about Dennis Gartman yep. quotes many times. He says, of course, one of my favorite quotes is, the market can remain irrational far longer than you or I can remain solvent. If you're waiting for the market 
to come to its senses, I say you'll be waiting for a You're very a long, long time. time, very, very long time. And the market, after all, is just made up of millions of irrational people making irrational decisions. And yet we expect it to be rational at the end of the day, which that's, is that's how that works. kind of baffling if you think about it, if you step back and take a look at it. Now, when do you think people will be the most rational and act the most rational, Steve? you think they'll act rational when it's calm out or when it's stormy, when the market's not doing so well? The, the chances are more when it's calm. Right. If at all. If at all. <laughs> when the market is sailing along like it's 2017, not a cloud in sight, and all is good, of course, it's easy for us to be rational. It's easy for us to stay invested as long as the market doesn't do anything stupid or silly. You know? In fact, you're not even paying attention to it, probably. Correct. Correct. For a lot of people, you're absolutely right. Look at the pretty charts of long-term historical performance and just enjoy the ride and not worry about it. But when it's 2008 and it looks like the mother of all economic tornadoes is landing on your head, you know, it's a little bit different. And it's not so easy to be rational and be calm. And the same, you have to remember, goes for your peers, millions of people around the world who are looking at the same news and thinking the same way you are and reacting in much the same way, much similar fashion. Of course, they, then people panic and they sell. And, of course, selling creates more panic because it puts downward pressure on prices, of course. Well, what's kind of interesting about that, I, I like that point because people are watching the same facts take place. Right. And some will, well, we better sell. Some will go, we better buy. Right. And it's all based on the same facts. All based on the same data at the same time. You're right. And, and that's, it's an interesting phenomenon because it def refutes the efficient markets hypothesis, which says they'll all act the same way. And then all, all investors are rational, which kills me. That's the basic premise for the, for the argument. I'm like, well, that's, that goes out the window right there as far as I'm concerned. Wait, what, was, what was that hypothesis? Efficient markets hypothesis. Right. EMH. Well, it kind of sounds like a certain political party that likes to raise taxes a lot, although you can't really <laughs> tell them a lot uh, apart these days. But, but here's the thing. Tax policy impacts behavior. Yes. And certain people don't think it does. Well, and that's why does. you go back to the Jimmy Carter day, so it doesn't look like I'm picking on anybody currently. But, you know, oh, man, people buy yachts? Well, let, let's have a oh, luxury, yeah. tax luxury tax on yachts. Yeah. Because, uh, well, if people buy this many yachts into the future, look how much money we're going to make. That's not the impact. They put the yachting construction business out of business. They put people out of jobs. They put lumber people out of jobs. They put everybody out of jobs based on tax policy. That's right. Policy impacts behavior. Absolutely. So, Steve, I'm going to try to illustrate how irrational individuals' behavior is here. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you went down to your Chevy dealer and said, hey, I want to buy a Silverado, which I think is a truck, if I'm not mistaken. That is a truck. Okay, it shows you how much I know about <laughs> trucks here. <laughs> Okay, so Steve goes down to the Chevy dealer and sees his uh, salesman and says, I want to buy this uh, blue Chevy Silverado you've got sitting over there. And the salesman says to you, Steve, well, the model's, uh, that one's $50,000. That's the 2018, whatever it is, Silverado, okay. right? And yep. he tells you it's $50,000. And you say, okay, that's a little bit more than I wanted to spend. And you thank him and you go on home and think about how bad you want that truck. Yeah. Right? How good it would look in your driveway. A week later, your phone rings and it's the salesman calling you. And he says, hey, you know that truck you wanted? It was 50000 yep. last week. Guess what? It's on sale now for $25,000. Wow. Now, imagine if your response was, not only do you say no thank you, but you run outside and sell your other Chevy truck that's in the driveway <laughs> because you know there must be something wrong with Chevy yeah. trucks at this point if this one's on sale for 25000 yeah. right? You think, there's got to be something wrong with my other Chevy. Right. I better get rid of it, too, while I'm at it. Well, this is essentially what people do with stocks when they drop in price. And I know this sounds ludicrous and ridiculous, but it, it, it's the truth. 
I mean, if we see a stock that drops 50% in, in price, we panic. We'll go sell ours. Yeah, we yeah. go sell whatever else we have, too. But we not only don't buy it, but we sell the other ones that we have as well. It's kind of like your neighbor's so. house gets foreclosed on, so you sell your house, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. So why do we engage in such, self, in such self-destructive behavior? We are wired for short-term survival. How are dogs like investors? How are investors like dogs, I should say? Ever watch a dog eat its food, Steve? Yeah. They will stand over their food. Yep. They will guard it. Yep. And you will not you do not go near a dog when it's eating its no. food unless you want to get bit. You do not go near a dog when it's eating his food. And uh, I occasionally dog sit for my son's dog, and I have him and his dog and my dog together. And you, should, you wouldn't believe how much they yep. fight over food. Even though they both have their own bowls full of food, yep. they will still fight over food. They don't want, why do dogs do this? Because they don't want another predator to take their food. People are much the same way. We know that investing is a long-term game. It is a 30-year proposition, right, for the average person, about 30 years of their lifetime. But when the market drops and panic sets in, we become the dog. Short-term survival kicks in because we know that in order to survive long-term, we have to survive short-term. Got to live today. We got to live through today. So we sell everything and we go to cash to live through today because we can't see the 30-year horizon at that That's point. Right. All we can see is the next week and what's going to happen tomorrow or today, as a matter of fact. And so we do things that are, are counter that are not to our own benefit or to our detriment, I should say. Investing is by its very nature, of course, counterintuitive. It requires us to be wired back to front instead of front to back, which is the way we're actually wired, the way we're built. It requires us to override our emotions and go, in, go against our intuition. On, on frequent occasions. That's why they call it self-discipline. Absolutely. We have to have faith in the long-term survival of both our economic system and of our individual investments. In times of turmoil, like we see in down markets, like in February, March of this year, our faith is shaken and we begin to question it ourselves. When the market gets scary, when companies begin filing for bankruptcy on a large scale, we reach a threshold, a point beyond which we can no longer endure the pain So we bail, we sell, we give in, and we give up. Then six months later, like we did with the Brexit, that's exactly what I was thinking. And there's like it's like nothing happened. Why did I get out of the market? Why did I do that? And and then we're kicking ourselves, saying, you know, I should have stayed in the market. I should have stayed in. And then we think about that, and then two years later, we do the same thing. Well, people that would that listen to this show know better than that. Well, hopefully, only human behavior can turn a temporary decline in prices into a permanent loss of capital. You might try that one again. Okay. Only human behavior. The market cannot create a permanent loss of capital. Right, right, right. The market cannot make you sell whatever position you oh, have. Oh, right, right, right. Only human behavior. Only you can do that, Steve. Only you can turn a temporary decline in prices, a market drop, into a permanent loss of capital by getting out at the wrong time. Gotcha. And then repeating the process over and over again. And this is what humans do. And it goes back to the Smokey the Bear commercial. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. That's right. And only you can prevent this from happening, in my opinion. And this is just a matter of human behavior and discipline. As you mentioned, discipline is the key. More about how investors are like dogs. Coming up, we're going to stop and take a quick look at the news at the 24-hour Fox News Center and check the forecast. If you want a copy of today's book, which is Sins of Our Fathers by Gary Neese, it's the second book in his series, you can call Dan's office at 918-398-8387 and get your copy. You need to leave your name and your address, and they will send you a copy. You're listening to Money Talk with Dan Witham and Steve Money. I'm Skyler Cooper in for Russell Mills today. More coming up. It's News 1023 and AM 740 KRMG. I got worries, oh, I got worries.
back. It's Money Talk on News 1023 KRMG. Sorry, Dan, that chair breaks every once in a while. You're just today's victim. Oh, that's all right. That's the uh, that's what it's like being in a temporary studio, but we're getting there, boys. It is Money Talk on KRMG. I'm Skyler Cooper in for Russell Mills with Dan Witham and Steve Money. And today's book is Sins of Our Fathers by Gary Neese. And, Dan, it's the second book. You gave away the other one last week, and they can get it by calling your office. That's right. Just give me a call at 918-398-8387. 918-398-8387. Just leave me your name and your address when you get our voicemail, and we'll have that sent out to you. My son sends out all the books during the week, and uh, we send them out, and we'll pay for it and everything. There's no cost, no obligation whatsoever to you for getting the book. Just give me a call, and we'll send it out to you. I'd be happy to send it out to as many people as I can. Hopefully, a lot of people will call in for it. Steve, you know, I, you may not know this, but when I order my suits, I order them... I found a place online that makes them custom-made. All right, yeah. Okay. You've seen pictures of my son. You've seen my son, right? Yes, I have. His face looks a lot, unfortunately for him, a lot like mine. He, he looks a lot like his father does. <laughs> yes, okay? he does. Uh, but let me tell you, there's a few differences in our size. He's We do look somewhat alike, but he's 5'9", and I'm six foot. Yeah. He weighs 160, and I weigh nowhere close to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have to add a lot of pounds to that to get my yeah. number, okay? Let's just put it that way. So... If Michael were to try to wear my suits, they probably would hang off him, be a little baggy on would him. Would not fit. And if I try to fit into his suits, there'd be a lot of seams ripping. Let's just would not fit. It's, uh, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way they're going on me, and there's no question about that. So another one would fit the other very well is what I'm trying to say. So we're going to talk about something I know you've been dying to talk about, Steve, this polymorphic momentum stuff. Man, I've been counting the days since last week I know. to come back and talk I about that. I knew you that. were excited about this. and Russell is sorry he's not here today because he <laughs> wanted to talk about it, too. That's he told me he would miss that. That's, That's probably why he told you last night, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah. So anyhow, we have a momentum strategy that uses this term, and this concept is what it does. And our new momentum strategy is actually four strategies in one. By that, I mean we have one, four different channels, if you will. One is uh, U.S. asset classes like large cap value, small cap growth, small cap value. The other one is U.S. sectors like technology, uh, utilities, oil and gas, energy, things like that. Those are what we call sectors. Then there's international regions like South America, Asia, whatever it might be. And there's also international sectors, which is the industries, but just overseas. So we have four of these running at the same time. And each one ranks about 10 or 12 exchange-traded funds in their category. So if it's it's U.S. sectors, it'd be 10 or 12 different ETFs that are exchange-traded funds that are U.S. sectors like technology, utilities, uh, oil and gas, healthcare, things like that. And they rank each one, and they only buy the top one in the group. So we hold them until they fall out of the first place, and then we replace them with whatever is the newest one. So a sector would be comprised of a whole bunch of individual companies yes. all in the same business. In the same industry, yes, correct. Like and, healthcare, and, for example, yes. Right. So what I think you're saying is you, you take a sector, say healthcare, and you pick the number one fund in that sector. We rank now we rank healthcare against technology, utilities, energy. Okay, so you pick the number which one ones, sector. Correct. We gotcha, see which gotcha, one's performing gotcha, the best. Okay, and thank okay. you for asking that. I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to clarify that. We pick the number one sector, try to pick what we think is the number one sector. We don't always know, of course, but we what we think is the number one performing sector out of all the sectors, the twelve that we have on the list, and we try to buy that one and just hold it until it falls out of the first place. When it falls out of first place, we replace it with whoever takes its place. And I should explain what exchange-traded fund is while I'm here. I suppose I ought to explain that. Exchange-traded funds are kind of like stocks and kind of like mutual funds. They trade like a stock and they trade intraday, so you can buy and sell them throughout the day. 
but they're like a fund because they're made up of 50 or 100 or 200 different companies. So if you have a healthcare uh, ETF, it would have uh, 200 healthcare companies. Right. Let's just say yeah. to make up that that exchange traded fund, and they're very liquid and very heavily traded nowadays. And one of the reasons the industry has gone to them, that we've gone to them, is they're lower cost than most mutual funds. The ETFs that we trade typically charge 30 to 40 basis points a year, so 0.3 to 0.4 percent per year in fees versus one to one and a half percent for a mutual fund for a typical mutual fund in the u.s plus like you said you can buy it and sell it all day long yes versus a mutual fund that you can only buy or sell one time a day correct at three o'clock at three o'clock mutual funds only trade once a day at three o'clock so if you call me at 901 in the morning and say sell my fund i will say at three o'clock we will sell your fund no bueno yeah right and if you would call me to say sell your etf well i can sell that at 901 or 902 right. or whatever time i get the order entered and but whereas with the mutual fund you're you're in it till the end of the day yes unfortunately you're in it till the end of the day there's no trading in and out of mutual funds uh, on a short-term basis so we have put together several of these different portfolios that i have we have a conservative one a moderate one aggressive and a growth one that use this momentum theory basically the polymorphic momentum that we i know you were dying to talk about and and uh, if you want to know more about it, we'll send you information on it. Just give me a call. I'll be happy to send out information to you about it. The returns look very good. We've, it's got back-tested returns going back 20 years, 18, 20 years that show very, very good returns. Wow. Uh, but they're all back-tested hypotheticals. So you have to keep that in mind. They're not actual results from investments. So the actual results are going to be different, whether better or worse. They're always, they're always going to be different going forward than what tests show. They, you're not going to have the same thing twice in, in any given year in any strategy. You know, when you talk about or when you use the term polymorphic, I think, you know, poly kind of means many and morphic, I guess, means changes or right. something like that. I always think of the term politics, you know, so poly <laughs> meaning many and ticks being a blood-sucking parasite. Yes, that's a and good And so for politics, you know, there's a bunch of blood-sucking parasites. Well, in this case, what we're trying to say is the filters that we run for this strategy adapt to every individual security. So if we look at a technology fund and we have an energy fund, let's just say those are two of the sectors we're comparing, and the technology fund says we get the best return by trading on the double exponential moving average with the 90-day moving average. <laughs> Sorry. What the? And the, but the energy may fund, or let's just say 90-day moving average. Let's just say the, 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 this fund, the technology fund, says trade on the 90-day moving average. The energy fund may say trade on a 50-day moving average to get the best results. So we use each one that fits that one specifically, kind of like the custom suit analogy that I gave you. We try to fit each each curve to the to the individual security that we're trading but That's at the why. end of, at the end of the day if i understand you correctly you're going to own one sector one etf yes for each right. for each of the four categories that i mentioned the sectors the asset classes and the international sectors and international areas yes. and and how frequently do you make that decision of the, who's number one we, do, we trade it when it falls out of number one typically they average two to three times a year Okay. That they'll change out. And sometimes they last for over a year. Sometimes it'll stay in the same position for over a year. So as long as they're number one, they're there. They stay there. And you're good. Right. You don't care what sector it is. Right. When it falls out, whoever steps up, that's who you are going to be invested with. Absolutely. And we also have a mechanism that allows us to get out of the market when the market starts. We think the market's going south. It's a three-filter mechanism that we use based on price momentum, buy-sell ratio, and uh, institutional money flowing into and out of the market. So it's a it's a complicated filter, but it's one that I've, I've looked at the results. It's, it's shown pretty good results in the past on when to get in and out of the market. It missed 08, all of 08, and also got you out in late 15 before oil prices tanked at the, in August of 15, which pulled the market down 17% in four days. It was out of the market during well, that. Since, yeah, since you said uh, it's been back-tested, I guess, for 30 years, I was going to ask about 08. It's got about, uh, well, about 20 years of back testing data. Okay. Yes. 08, uh, the strategies were, they show on the back testing that they were up for 08. So they did quite well. Actually. While everybody else was down 35. Right. 
because they were out. They were out. They actually got out in late 07 and missed the entirety of 08. They got the whole year for 08, which was a good place to be, not be in the market. So they were. They actually went to. It goes to bonds or cash when it goes out of the market. Goes out of stocks. Let's take our last break here. We'll come back and wrap things up this week on Money Talk. This week's book is called Sins of Our Fathers. And if you want a copy of that book, it's by Gary Neese. It is his second book in this uh, particular series. And as Steve said, based in Tulsa. So you want to get your hands on this, call Dan's office at 918-398-8387. Leave your name and address and they will get a copy sent out to you. More Money Talk after the break. This is News 1023 KRMG. for this. It, uh, yeah, don't, don't screw this up. Although a good DJ would be talking over That's that. right. Do you know any? <laughs> Wait. Wait. You know you make your rules. There it is. Welcome back to Money Talk. This is News 1023 and AM 740 KRMG. Eric is looking at me like I would have done a much better job talking about it. She's done it. All right, next week. Let's do it again next week. All right, we'll try again. This is Money Talk with Dan Witham and Steve Money. I'm Skyler Cooper sitting in for Russell this week. Sins of Our Fathers is this week's book by Gary Neese. If you want to copy that, call Dan's office at 918-398-8387. Dan, you just need the name and address. That's right. Just leave us your name and address when you get our voicemail. We'll send you that book by Gary Neese, the sergeant who passed away on Friday from uh, brain cancer, unfortunately. And uh, Gary was a friend of mine. He's come on the show several times. Steve, we have a uh, new Department of Labor rule coming out. And Someday. What might that be? They've been delaying it for like two years now. They keep changing their mind on this. It's the fiduciary rule. They're trying to make investment advisors act like fiduciaries, including insurance salespeople. I'm all for it. Guess who's fighting this? I would, su- uh, I would suggest guesses. perhaps the uh, insurance industry. Yeah. Why has it taken the investment industry a century to get around to this? I can tell you. Because one of the has been fighting it for half a century. The insurance industry. Yes. Well, if I have a choice of being held accountable or not being held accountable for my actions, I choose not being held accountable for my actions. So, yes. Oh, I wanted to talk about one other thing. That goes along with this. There is the Wall Street equivalent of the bad products that the insurance industry likes to peddle as well. And we never talk about it on the show, so I thought I'd talk <laughs> oh, about it. Oh, the bad product. Yeah, Wall yeah. Street has the equivalent of this. They're called PPP for short. Proprietary products are what they're referred to. What are these animals? Years ago, I worked for Morgan Stanley. Many, many years ago. They, shall we say, invited me, told me to fly to New York to go to a meeting with all of their proprietary mutual fund managers. These are people that run mutual funds that start with the words Morgan Stanley, you know, growth fund, Morgan Stanley income fund, Morgan Stanley dividend fund, all these things, right? They wanted me to sell. What do you think they wanted me to sell? Uh, Bad products. Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley. Mutual funds. Mutual funds, yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so Ameriprise has a proprietary fund family. Guess what? They were smart enough to call it something else other than Ameriprise. Other than Ameriprise? Yeah, they call them River Source Funds, which has nothing to do with Ameriprise. So you don't, you wouldn't, 
things that that's associated with them, right? Normally, I mean, yeah, I guess if you go to a Mary Kay uh, thing, you're supposed to sell Mary Kay, huh? right? So, which you look very good in, by the way. One of these companies exists. Well, the the Wall Street firms saw that you know American funds, Vanguard and Fidelity, were making millions off of the funds that Merrill Lynch's and Morgan Stanley's brokers were selling. Right? Because yeah. they can sell American funds, you know, Fidelity funds, stuff like that, right? They're allowed to. But Morgan Stanley said, wait a minute, what if we ran those funds ourselves? You know, we could make twice as much why, money. Why give it away? Why give it away? Instead of giving American funds that 1% a year or Vanguard, we could make it. Let's just keep it. Ourselves, yes. And so that's what they did. And then they started selling those through their chain. And when I was at Morgan Stanley... We had like 50 different wholesalers that wanted to come see us from different companies in our office to come visit with yep. the, all the brokers in the office. Guess who got in and guess who didn't get in? Three guesses. Um, Morgan First Stanley two, got in? Morgan Stanley got in. Nobody else <laughs> got in. And if you weren't Morgan Stanley? Yeah, nobody, else, so much. nobody else got in. Yeah. That's right. And that's kind of how they did. They just controlled access to us. And the problem with most of these funds is the performance for most of them is subpar to the other competitive funds. They're not as good. They don't yeah. perform as well as the other funds do. And this has been the problem for years. So for years, uh, Wall Street actually paid the broker differently. Now they have to pay them the same. They can't discriminate with compensation based on which fund the advisor is offering because it's not in the client's best interest. And it really never was in the client's best interest. Like that's a relevant factor. Yes. But this is one of the things that they do. One of the things that Wall Street's done for years that a lot of people just aren't, aren't aware of. And it's sad. It's unfortunate. But um, I want to talk about asking questions. A lot of people don't know what questions to ask their advisor or their insurance salesperson. One of the questions I always tell them to ask, Steve, is how much do you make on this product? Fair question. Interestingly, I did ask that. Did you? Did you well, get an answer? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> not the number. Well, that's the answer right there, actually. I didn't get a number. No. What was the answer? It was, you know, a, a percentage of this goes, yeah, ba ba ba, that kind of thing. Okay. Generic. Did they tell you the percentage? I think so. I don't remember. Okay. Well, good. And the I, I've seen people answer this question in a multitude of ways. A, you, I make X dollars amount. If you put in $10,000, I make X amount, which is a, a good answer. B, the answer that you don't pay me. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Yeah, you don't pay me? You don't pay me. My company pays me. And I'm like, yeah, well, you're paying for it. Right. I mean, if I told you, Scott, you weren't paying for something, would you not think... Somehow in here, I've got to be paying for this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's like, Steve, if you go to your doctor and you see your doctor and your doctor says, you don't pay me, your insurance company pays me. Yep. Well, who pays the insurance company? That's exactly. I mean, you do, obviously. If you have insurance, you're, you're paying the insurance company. So you are paying me, whether I want to tell you or not. Uh, but I always tell people, if your person won't look you in the eye and say, you know, if you invest $50,000 or $10,000 or $2,000, here's exactly how much I make, then you need to get up and head for the door. That's right. And I've seen annuity salespeople absolutely refuse to answer the question. And I know why they don't want to answer the question. Yep. I know exactly why they don't answer the question, because they don't want to own up to it. Well, you know, the one story you've told is when you literally had a client sitting in front of you and you called right. the other person and the, the, the wiggling on that one. Was, it wouldn't tell. It, it's actually pretty funny. Yeah. I got a very cool breakout last time I was over there, too. They gave me a sheet that said you made this much this year and here's how much it costs you to make that much. Good. Good. Now, they're having to change the reporting now because of the new DOL rule. The reporting is getting a little bit better for the consumer because now they're having to show the fees and expenses and the turnover in the portfolio, how much the portfolio turned over and things like that. And it's required now to be shown. So I think in the future we'll see more of this. Hopefully we'll see more of this. But I always tell people, if your agent or whoever it is won't tell you how much they make, you need to get up, walk out, and say sayonara, see you later. I'll right. and hit the door 
And, you know, if, if he starts doing the like the five Ds of dodgeball, you know, do, duck, what is it, dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge? <laughs> Erica knew that. I, I had not a clue. If he starts doing that when you ask him that question, you need to find somebody yeah. else. You know, I think you just need to find somebody else. It's just not, that's not the relationship you want to have with your advisor, right. in my opinion. And, and, you know, I've always told people, it doesn't matter which firm your advisor works for. What matters is the character of the advisor. That's right. At the end of the day, yeah. that's all that matters because LPL has good advisors and LPL has not so good advisors. Morgan Stanley has good advisors and they have not so good advisors. It's the same of every firm, I can tell you, out there. And it just depends upon the character of the person. Do you trust them? Will they answer your questions like, how much do you make on this? How much does this cost me? These are legitimate questions. I mean, they're the questions you should be asking. Actually, you shouldn't even have to ask them, in my opinion, but they're, they're certainly legitimate questions. Like if you're buying a car, you would ask how much it costs. Exactly. I mean, I would think it would be a legitimate question. You know, instead of just how much is your payment, say how much is this going to cost me? Some people just ask what the payment is. Uh, that's what I was going to tell you. But a whole lot of people, I would say, if not most people, they just want to know what their payment is. I mean, they're, they're vaguely aware of the end price and how right. much interest you'll pay over time. But I think for most people, you know, we're just trying to get along as best as we can. How do we fit this in our budget? We just want to know what the payment is. We'll worry about the end result later. That's right. I, for one, would have bought that $25,000 Silverado if they had yeah, slashed it from fifty. <laughs> I, I would do. I'd worry about the repairs later, you know. Yeah. That's right. Okay, we're about out of time here, and I want to remind you of our free book uh, by Gary Neese, Sins of Our Fathers. If you want a copy of it, give me a call at 398-8387, 398-8387. I'm going to leave you today with a special song for Gary and his family. It's uh, Amazing Grace by George Jones, and I uh, want, want you to know that Gary's in our thoughts and our prayers. And everybody, I hope you have a wonderful week, and uh, God bless you, Gary. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see